0: around. My name is still Eamon Murtagh.
1: And my name is still Deb Grant. Hello. Hello
0: and that's good news Deb. Welcome back. Listen, what's on the show this week?
1: Uh, This week we've got an interview with the brilliant Wesley Doyle who's written a book called Some Bizarre All About Bizarre Records.
0: And not only that we've also got the fabulous John Robb talking about the art of darkness. The history of goth. We also have some builders in.
1: (laughs) We also have some builders in, as you can hear. Getting quite intimate with the builders here. I have a feeling they're literally just on the other side of my studio window probably listening to everything I say so they're getting a nice preview of what's happening also Eamon Murda in conversation with uh, the lovely Jason Williamson of Sleaford Mods I wasn't present for that interview but I did hear it was absolutely lovely he
0: is you know for a man who swears for a living and scares the bejesus out of most people he was one of the nicest people I've ever talked to what a lovely down-to-earth chat. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. We should pod right now.
1: I think we should. Let's not hesitate. Let's get into it.
0: No hesitation. Pod it. Pod it.
1: Aim Murta, It's so nice to be back in your audio company again and I would really like to know what goes around.
0: Well, first things first, Deb. We are 50.
1: Whoa. Hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that feels premature (laughs) no you're not actually 50
1: have you get in there
0: baby oh fuck off
1: how dare you
0: hey listen i'm already there it's cool but we as a a duo a dynamic duo in the podcasting world are 50. this is our 50th episode babe it's
1: crazy i can't believe that look at us now from from acorns what's the thing mighty Mighty oaks Oaks.
0: Jesus, we've got Just leaves, we've got old oaks. squirrels living us, so you've got birds on our branches, insects crawling around our legs. i pushed this metaphor too far. <laughs> but yeah, we are old wizened oaks with 50 pods in our That's back catalogue. Isn't that nice? It's
1: amazing. Yeah. What I have to ask you this, favourite mm. episode, favourite moment?
0: Uh, there have been a few. I'm legally obliged to say, oh, I can't decide. <laughs> so tricky. Um but I th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three moments that I don't think I'll ever forget. Okay. Uh, out of the 50. I don't think I'll ever forget talking to Labby Sifri.
1: I was going to say the exact same <laughs> thing.
0: That was just brilliant. And what the listeners don't know is before we talked to Labby Sifri, and we were nervous because Labby's... You know he's alleged and he, he is, doesn't suffer
1: fools as well which is oh, always no. a terrifying prospect
0: sharp as a pin and really you know he's he's on it but the thing is we we hooked up with him and uh you know he's like what 70 something isn't he he's, he's probably even more maybe I'm not sure but um he had uh, technical problems and so for the first 40 minutes this world superstar was under his desk pulling out wires, <laughs> and all we can hear was Labby swearing like quietly under his breath. And we we're like, "Oh God, this is not going to go well now, is it?" And then, well, just erudite and funny, and really just wisdom. Pure wisdom, that's what it really gave was. us.
1: was, dropping wisdom bombs all over the place. But yes, I'll never forget the sound of him. Oh, blast! Does this connect to this one? What the fuck does it... <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it was very entertaining was and great. just something great. that I won't forget. Anytime.
0: And when the red light went on, he was just oh, on the money. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolute showbiz yeah, pro. Fantastic. And just, yeah, it remember. was a great conversation as well. If you haven't listened to that episode... Oh. Go back and listen. Go through our vast archive of 50 episodes and listen to the Labby Sifri episode. Sorry, I do have the builders in at the moment. There's a lot of crashing and oh. banging. Well, you've got builders, I've got builders. On. Yeah.
0: And because we, we both got builders at either end, it's going to be kind of a stereo effect. I should you have just blamed p- you, actually. Yeah, yeah.
1: But listen. The- builders in.
0: <laughs> Good thing for the listeners is that uh, we're recording all the intros in one day. So for the next three episodes, you're just going to get builders. <laughs> 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 we like to plan ahead like that. So, two more quick points. I won't try and hog all the good stuff. I'll let you pick some good stuff as well. Um, For me, I think the one where we came of age as a pod and it was because of your friend who wanted to talk about noise music and I remember making the little piece about noise music and just thinking, that is the oddest ten minutes I think anyone will ever hear on a podcast. (sighs) And, uh, you know, if you listen to it on headphones, it's quite a trip. And I remember thinking, yeah, we're we're making something there. So that was good. It's a beautiful
1: what uh Dr. Stephen Graham. He's also written a doc, book about doc. noise music. Yeah,
0: Has he? Oh, we should get him on to talk about that.
1: Yes. Yeah, it came yeah. out a while ago. I'm kind of bored of talking <laughs> to him about it, to be honest.
0: That's the Excellent. And I think uh, perhaps um, just, uh, you know, like my, my final pick will actually be a real up-to-date one because when we started the podcast was... Uh, the one guest I really wanted to get on were the Sleaford Mods because mm, I just oh, wow. thought they are so singular in their sound and they got so much to say and they're so absolutely painfully funny. They would be the best guests ever. And we hunted them down mm-hmm. like like a lion on the wilds of Kenya. Oh, if there are lions in Kenya, I'm not even sure. It <laughs> that isn't really what I meant. <laughs> I, I, we didn't hunt. We're not into hunting. It's there okay uh, now. No oh, god all I've got I've, I've sat in my hut in my back garden and I've just got like loads of shields on the wall with heads of Labby Sifri with Lydia all these things, like a, all the ones I've taken down 49 of the bastards yeah I noticed Here's we haven't Jason, heard
1: from him in a while
0: but um, yeah Jason Williamson uh, finally deigned to uh, talk to me and what a lovely chap he was Funny and friendly and just, um, yeah, great guests. Well worth the wait. What about you?
1: Well, you put me on the spot now. I would say, well, had you not bagsied it, I might have said Mm. Labby Siffrey too. Also just the fact that, like, I don't think Lab. I think Labby is quite discerning in terms of who he does interviews with. And I think he was quite considered of the fact that he decided to do one with us. So that was very flattering in the first place. And Mm. then, yes, to spend so much time, in his company while he uh flustered around uh under this desk plugging stuff in and unplugging stuff i mean i was just you know it was nice that he gave us so much of his time um i would say similarly to how you were saying dr stephen graham's piece about noise sort of you know really made us feel established as a podcast um i really really loved our interview with marcus brigstock
0: Same episode. Same Same episode. episode. Yes. so it was
1: kind of like, as a whole piece, that was like, you know, the first... I probably said this before, but like, yeah, that was kind of like a a real moment for this podcast, but it was such a beautiful interview. He was so... He he really dug deep and really kind of, you know, the concept of phonographic memories is, you know, songs which are attached to specific memories of your life. And he gave us this beautiful timeline of his teenage years and all the music Mm. that kind of soundtracked it. And it was just such a brilliant, honest interview. I love that.
0: That, Yeah, that really was special, wasn't it? And, you know, it takes a lot to... I mean, he could have just come on and gone blah blah blah. I'm a comedian. Uh, I like this song. I like that song. And he didn't. He really opened his heart. And I didn't, I didn't really think we were even expecting it to come out like that. And it was it was lovely. So thanks, Marcus.
1: Yeah, what a gem he is. Lovely man. Um, also, I have to say, our very first episode was wrong time um, yeah, because yeah, that was fun. I I just have memories of you know of weeping with laughter in the studio to some of his anecdotes. He was such a perfect, such a perfect guest. Um, Yeah. And it makes, it's good because, you know, sometimes with podcast you go back to the first episode and it's all a bit shanky you know you mm. might have random banging in the background for example yeah,
0: the builders might be in <laughs> yeah, exactly. again
1: that kind of unprofessional thing um but because our first episode was with wrong tom and it was so funny and so engaging i still feel very proud of that episode even though it was mm. our we were still kind of finding our feet um he's a man
0: top man he came down to play for me
1: did he came, he? He came, to, came bristol to bristol yeah we no had way lovely
0: evening. Yeah. oh he, cute we climbed disco mountain together and he was an absolute joy Gorgeous. And a real pro.
1: that's amazing oh have you got Tom.
0: one more special wga memory for us
1: oh have i like,
0: well because i did three so you got to do three i'm not letting you skimp away uh, with just two
1: i hated everything else that happened
0: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta mention lydia
1: uh, oh, Lange. God, Lydia Lange. She was, was... Yeah, that was amazing. She she was like someone, because I followed her for such a long time, and I had her... And she's another one who I think is quite considered in terms of what she does. Um, and, you know, we I somehow persuaded her to come on the podcast, and she was just exactly, like, filthy, raunchy, <laughs> full of amazing stories. That accent of hers was just brilliant. Oh, there's yeah. just, like... Yeah. Also, I mean, I mean, it's hard because we're getting into territory of favorite favorite guests now.
0: Who's your favorite child? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Timmy anymore. Timmy can go. <laughs> Sophie, with me.
1: <laughs> um, I really loved your mate, the football man. He was also very oh, generous. Pat
0: Nevin, yeah, he was great.
1: He almost real, made me interested in football, fan. at least for the. Yeah the time we were speaking to him but like also I thought it was amazing to talk to someone who you know was obviously so skilled in one area but his real passion was music but yet he happened to be yeah. good enough at football to be a professional footballer that was fascinating yeah, so many memories and also so just just spending quality time with you because you know're yeah. you're, you're not my neighbor anymore you're in Bristol you now know. and I feel like it's just a, you know who, who else do I get to spend? hours at a time chatting away BFFs,
0: that's what we are, you know. I'll always be here at the end of this microphone for you, babe, for
1: you. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Now, one other thing that we should quickly mention, which is, uh, yes, this is our 50th episode, The Big Five Zero. After three years of doing it, right, we've still only got 49 Apple reviews.
1: For oh, God's sake, uh,
0: somebody out there must have an Apple account. Get us up to 50. I've had enough of this. We've asked about three times.
1: Come on. Even if you've already written us a review, just write us yeah. another one. I love how it was like, because we got a flurry of reviews at the beginning when we were giving yeah. away a, a WGA. left Yeah, a well, mug. she stopped
0: giving away the mugs. That was it. It was like <laughs> everyone's going, oh, well, we pay us, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll get some more mugs made, maybe. Now, now we're on 50, we'll see if we can get some merch out there, shall we? That would be good. Listen, five zero, but the work is not done. Let us commence, let us pod on, because we've got some big, big shows to do, and the mods, and a lovely book to talk about. So we'll, we'll move on swiftly, shall we? Let's go. labels get a bad rap, often with good cause. Bad deals, disruptive interference and ridiculous marketing rank high on the list of complaints by artists and punters alike. But some labels are every bit as important and influential as the artists themselves. Someone has to find the new music, package it and sell it, and sometimes that product could only be pushed by an independently-minded organisation because it's just too far out there for the mainstream to even conceive of. This is why boutique labels like Factory... Rough trade and mute are worth their weight in gold. Wesley Doyle has written an authoritative account of one of these seminal labels, Sun Bazaar. Sun Bazaar brought us some of the most unique and challenging artists of the 1980s, including The The, Soft Cell, Cabaret Voltaire, and the delightfully named Scraping Fetus off the wheel. They were all presented to the world by Sun Bazaar's maverick leader, Steve O. Pierce. So we're very happy to talk to Wesley about his upcoming book, Conform to Deform, which is out on February 14th. And it's all about the trials and tribulations of Stevo and his magnificent Sun Bazaar record label. Welcome to What Goes Around, Wesley. Hi, Em, thanks for having me on. And for those that don't know, Sun Bazaar were an independent record label
2: kind of at the start of the 80s. The the, uh, the sort of compilation album, um, which kind of made their name uh, straight, straight off the bat uh, came out in uh, the beginning of 1981, so that that was Mm -hmm. January 1981. So, yeah, I mean, that that first compilation album um, had uh, just unsigned bands, um, lots of who never troubled um, anyone's door ever again, but Mm -hmm. uh, five of the bands were The, Soft Cell, Blumange, B-Movie and Depeche Mode. And it was the first time any of those bands had appeared uh, on any label of any, any sort. It was their first um, released music.
0: What fascinates me about Sun Bazaar is how individual it is. It needed to be one person's taste. Do you know what I mean? I don't think anyone else really would have would have picked up these acts. But, you know, if you can put out your first compilation and have five incredible acts like that, all unsigned, you must have an ear for things.
2: Steve-O... Um as i found out, uh, is a very unique and uh, interesting, that's a good word to use, character. Um, I mean, basically, uh, I mean, he left school uh, unable to read or write properly. Um, he had a speech impediment, made it very difficult to, to communicate. Um, and he was one of those kids who, you know, was just thrown into a job uh, the first chance the school had to to get rid of him. Um, so he was—he uh, ended up being a delivery boy for Phonogram. So he had a sort of connection, a, a sort of tenuous connection to the music industry, um, and he was a DJ. Uh, so he would play places like Chelsea Drugstore and Billy's, which was then starting to play uh, electronic music and have these kind of Bowie nights. Um, and yeah, he just—he just basically his modus operandi was to kind of like take music that nobody had heard of and. Play it to people to introduce them to this new type of music that, that he was listening to, and also to make the experience of listening to it as difficult as possible. So, yeah. he was, I, I love like,
0: that. So some of the stories you touch in the book and stuff like stories about, um, you know, him basically deliberately clearing dance floors with electronic bombs and, uh, yeah, and doing yeah. things and like playing several tracks at once. Just for the cacophony of it, do you know what I mean? And, yeah, and, 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 and also
2: playing and sooty songs. albums as well. Yeah, um, and
0: Mickey Mouse into Cabaret Voltaire. at our <laughs> That's scene. Right, yeah. that sort of, yeah. I mean, I've taken some DJ risks, but I've, I don't. You know, I'm not in his his level, you know. I, I, yeah, I, I you, should, you should you try it.
2: <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really was. You know, I mean, obviously, like like people these days will, will talk about Aphex Twin playing sandpaper or something like that. But it wasn't, you know, sort of that different what he was doing back then. But I think like the, the weird thing about steve is that it's innate. I don't think he's, he never sat down and thought, this is my plan. This is what we're going to do. Um, he basically felt that stuff like Throbbing Gristle, Cabaret Voltaire, Clock DVA, um, Fad Gadget, he felt that they were as commercial as stuff like Lake Humanly, Duran Duran, up um, ballet he really didn't see a difference mm. so he just wanted to you know he's his whole thing was that if people would hear this music then they would make up their own mind not everyone would get it some people wouldn't like it but you know some people would and he didn't see why you know they these bands shouldn't have the opportunity to, to reach as many people as possible and that that was kind of the basis of some bizarre you know he, he found these left field artists these kind of weirdos, misfits and put them on major labels and said to the public, OK, make your own mind up.
0: It was really far out there. It, You know, the the bands didn't look like bands and they didn't sound like anything that had gone before. And again, it's this one person's taste that really pushed that that sound through. And, you know, soft sell might have been the, the sort of tip of the iceberg, but underneath there's all this other stuff going on. The, the, I mean... My One of my favourite albums of all time is Soul Mining. And mm. um, it, it was interesting when I went to see The The in Brixton on their last tour. He was chatting away at one point and he said, uh, you're having a good night or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, always, I always liked, you know, coming out with any really sweaty. I always considered The The a dance band. Now I'd said that before and people had looked at me funny, mm. but they were they were a synthesizer band. They you know, they had mm. drum machines, all that sort of thing, you know? These these bands that were being picked up, Steve O was finding a niche for them or creating a niche for them in a way that um no one else was was ever going to do. I think I think as well, I mean, you know, like Tainted
2: Love was like this golden ticket for him, really. Um, you know, like labels being Labels, uh, you know, they, they see something that's successful and, and they and they want a, a sort of a, another half a dozen of the same thing. So you know, he he had the industry's ear for a very long time, he even through into the nineties. You know,
0: for a guy who left with no qualifications and you know, a, a seemingly no hope. That, you know, in his own words, the school just thought he would never go past the doll cube. He was he was a, a failure <laughs> before he'd even gone out into the world. But for someone with that kind of uh, background and qualifications, he cut some mean deals he took on big <laughs> music industry and and really played them at their own game i mean he sold the other album to three separate companies on three different occasions Tell us a little bit about how how some bizarre just rubs the whole industry <laughs> up the wrong way
2: really. um well i i think interestingly what what he used to do which I, I think is something a lot of uh legacy artists do now you know you, you think of people like i don't know paul weller nick cave damon orban you know they they they've got the they own the means of production now so so they make their records and then they shop it out to whichever label offers them the best deal. and that that's what steve-o was doing back in the in the early to mid 80s you know he was recording the albums like like kept like the crackdown by cabaret voltaire he got them down to London, got them in Trident with Flood, gave them a couple of weeks studio time and they made the crackdown. And then he took it out and, you know, shopped it to all the major labels. And then Virgin picked it up and the cabs signed to Virgin, you know, as um, with Sun Bazaar as management and ident. So that was kind of how he was doing it. You know, he, he had the stuff and people wanted it. And he was just going in and selling it to the highest bidder. I mean, again, I think that the whole thing with his education is kind of a bit of you know, it's it's a bit of a sort of misdirection because he's he's still a, a smart guy. Mm. Um and he knew how to how to cut a deal. And it was almost like the stuff that he didn't understand he felt he didn't need to know about, mm. which in the long term didn't really serve him very well, but at at, at, the, at the time, you know, he, people were sort of like throwing stuff at him and he was like, I don't need to know that. Do you want this album or not? This is how much money I want. Mm. Off we go.
0: I mean, it, the whole setup of, uh, of his label, uh, it, it just doesn't follow the normal route, does it? I, I loved the <laughs> passage uh, I was reading about um, his record label Office. Now, some, some record labels try and impress their clientele by installing a foosball table and maybe a drink stand, <laughs> but Saint office had a, a small chapel and a confession booth. I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of weird. Like I said it, at the start, it's such an individual trip he was on. His humor and his sort of agent provocateurness really, without that, none of none of it would be possible.
2: No, no, I think it's. Um you know, I mean, it, it did, it did crash and burn and uh, I mean, one of the things <clears throat> I was concerned about when, when I sort of was writing the book was how many of the artists would want to talk about Sun Bizarre because, you know, there's, there's been a lot of um, mm. disagreement about royalties and payments and ownership of uh, copyright, which has, you know, led, led to quite a lot of rancor between quite, quite a few of the artists, which, which, which is ongoing. But I think, you know, he, like, Stevo created this um, playground for them to make really good art, which they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Um, and I think even those who feel the most aggrieved by him would admit that, you know, for a time, um, he made it possible for them to do what created their careers, you know.
0: <laughs> I mean, I love as well that, you know, he seems to be one of these people that uh, just throws out Pearls of wisdom. You know, he's almost like a preacher sometimes when he's talking about mm. the music he's done. And I, you know, as a kid, I can remember really distinctly turning the Soul Mining album over and seeing the little quote at the end on the other side, which said, with every kick in the face and every hurdle you pass, the rewards get greater. Steve-O. Mm. And I was looking at it, I was going, "Who hey, <laughs> the fuck is Steve-O? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the, Matt Johnson. Okay, I get that. Zeki Mania. and he played the drums. Steve, who's the Steve-O guy? What does he do? He did have just this... Um, messianic sort of drive behind him. He wanted to to tell the world, you know, all about him, his himself, his beliefs, and what he liked.
2: It's hard to find a comparison. It was his thing. I mean, it was uh, you know he he chose the bands, um, he, you know, he he signed the bands, he he, he did the deals, and in, in his mind, it makes total sense. I mean, there's there's a famous incident for Neubauen's third album. Uh, in 1987, they, they did a show at uh, the Kilburn National and they were supported by Shawadi Wadi. And that was, you know, sort of Steve O <laughs> chose, you know, sort of book Shawadi Wadi to, to go on before Neubau. And, you know, you, you look at the, the music press at the time in, in the book, there's, you know, some contemporary reviews um, from like the Stud Brothers, and they're decrying this, you know, massive situationist prank, which is how they perceive it. And you know, look at it as this sort of Dardo esque um thing that Steve O's decided to put together to try and make everyone look stupid and, you know, make things as difficult for people as possible. But Steve O's take on it was like, you know, who wouldn't want to see Neubauton come on after Shawadi Woody? Yeah. You know, it, it sounds it, it, I mean it, was,
0: it sounds like a delightful evening's entertainment to me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and, and and I think and, and apparently um you know, I spoke to Dave Bartram from Shorty Woody for the book, and he said they, they went down really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he couldn't quite believe it himself, but he said the audience had a really good time, and then Neubauten came on, and they had a really good time watching Neubauten as well. So in Steve-O's mind, it, it made sense. And, you know, for a lot of the time, it made sense out in the real world as well.
0: How did you find him on a, on a person-to-person basis?
2: He was everything I could have hoped for and more. Wow. Uh, which was good for the book, uh, but maybe not so good for my anxiety levels. That's, that's the best way. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's he's, he's hard work, but I need, I needed him to, to be in there. I mean, th- th- at one point, it looked like he didn't want to do it, and and we were looking at how we could write the book without actually having him contribute which I, I think could have worked because he would have re- remained an enigma at the mm-hmm. center of this story um but eventually he, he did you know he did uh, agree to to talk and I, I met up with him in london um at a restaurant and it was yeah it was it was a real it was one of the hardest interviews i've ever done in my life um and i've interviewed some quite tough people. <laughs> but it, it was really rewarding as well. And, and he is, he is a, a kind of genius, I think.
0: There are times in your life when the most important thing about your music is where and which tribe it is associated with. From the first time I wielded my crimpers in anger, I knew I wanted to be a goth. There was something so alluring about the life in black, the clothes, the look, the morbid aggrandisement of death and darkness. And contrary to popular belief, being a goth was actually brilliant fun. And the uniform of leather jackets and winker pickle boots well, they somehow helped me find my tribe. I've long since put down the crimpers but I still feel like a goth at heart and this is why I'm so excited to talk to musician, author and punk legend John Robb about his brilliant new book The Art of Darkness, A History of Goth. Welcome to What Goes Around John. Hi how are you okay Eamon? Deep dive and a proper look at the history of this movement. How how did you get started on the project?
3: Well I think firstly there have have been other books but they're they're mostly academic books and there's and Mick Mercer's done a couple of good books which are like almost like encyclopedias, like A to Z of mm-hmm. Goth, which which are really good to have. But I thought it's time for a pop culture book that kind of wrote a book that was beyond the genre in a sense, that people who weren't Goths, I mean, it's for Goths as well, of course, but you know the way um, John Savage did England's Dreaming, which yeah. you took he, he took Punk and the Sex Pistols seriously, but not in a serious way, so it wasn't academic, it was actually very readable. But it actually explained why it was really good to people who probably didn't know why it was really good and explained the depth of a culture to people who just see the surface. You know, so a lot of people, so quite a few interviews are done for this book so far, people are going, oh, aren't goths people just have black hair and black lipstick. And that's about as far as most people go, which is fair enough, because people be haven't got time all day to think about every uh, youth culture ever. But I'm trying to explain, it's like an art form really, there's something very artful about it. And there's a lot of depth to it, a lot of nuance and also, one of the other themes of the book was the idea that every generation reacts to its blues. You know whether you know whether it's Lord Byron writing you know that night in Geneva with, with his little gang doing Frankenstein and Dracula, or romantic painters or decadent poets, and it's a lineage or, or Instagram influencers now who put up goth photographs but no music in them. So it's all about the image and not the music, and all that's fascinating. It's just whatever technology to hand is reacts to the eternal feeling of melancholy but also it doesn't drown in the melancholy as you were saying a minute ago it was actually really good fun as well people had a really good time going to the clubs and dancing yeah (laughs)
0: exactly and dressing up in funky clothes and just you know living out a little bit of the fantasy I think um you know it's interesting you know to have have someone actually look at the the, like you say the pop culture side of it but what are the what are the roots of goth? Where did it where before even the sort of label of the music came out? What, what were the things that were pointing towards this movement? Do you think?
3: Well, if you do the deep dive, really, I mean, and the book starts at the fall of Rome, so <laughs> we go back a little bit. <laughs> so that I'm was not, a busy goth. Not the right bloke, this question. <laughs> So this kind of notion in Europe that the Goths are responsible for the destruction of the classic classical Rome, you know, so there was this sort of split in European thoughts, even from the year 411. So like when, when the Germans started building churches in the, in the Middle Ages, they, the, the classical, because there's always that hankering after the classical, you know, the pillars and the columns, which every city has. But it was this kind of sneering at German architecture for just being Gothic, you know, like it was a bit of a lower thing. It was... You know it, there was it wasn't like the classical style but the germans embraced that you know and so gothic became a thing it became an art form and there's painting and uh books sort of so reflected this as well so writing literature and all kind of arts reflected this kind of different style of thinking and it became an art form on its own and that kind of percolates around this idea of what gothic actually is and then in rock and roll terms in post-war rock and roll culture there's already kind of you know, it's this very euphoric in the sixties, but it's also there's a dark side to the sixties. So, I mean the Rolling Stones painted black, which obviously is not a, a goth song, but it's it's definitely a dark song. And then the first band to actually be called a goth band or a gothic band was The Doors. So when they played their first gig in New York City in nineteen sixty seven, the reviewers said they were gothic. And also this really fantastic quote, he really said, um, they reflect America's fascination with violence back at itself, which I just love that quote, it's so yeah. good. <laughs> so, and the Doors have all the themes set in place. You've got a baritone singer who, in a sense, is a Lord Byron of his time. You know, he's, this, he's, he's, he's got a poetic kind of style to his lyrics. He, he lives a very dissolute lifestyle like a lot of the Romantic poets did in the time and, and he's he's dead at twenty seven. It's almost perfect. Yeah. Sets the, it's it's sets the te- continues that kind of temp, uh, template, and then then it's this then the Stooges and the Velvets. Of course, the other two bands in the what I would call the unholy trinity, they kind of set you know they open the door for a much darker kind of rock music with different kind of themes lyrical themes, and then this accelerates through uh, glam rock with Bowie and Bolan. And then through punk, the doors are open, literally, and everybody gets in. So it kind of gets taken out of the big cities and given to everybody. And everybody who tried to interpret punk on their own terms interpreted it a completely different ways. So across in small towns and across the north of England, it was coming out as this kind of darker uh, version, which a lot of Bowie, a lot, um, uh, lot of Jim Morrison in there, but also a lot of punk, and it all mixed together. And somehow... In that soup you get like sort of uh, the early days of a gothic subculture
0: it's interesting you you're talking about very though I was uh, actually looking through YouTube the other day and I saw a little interview with him where he said I did think about becoming oh, I did the impression but I didn't think about becoming a goth for a while or you know uh, expressing the goth side but then I thought if I if I did that I'd have to spend all my time denying that I'm a goth i thought that was quite such a great quote it's so funny <laughs> it's true as well though because there's so many what i would term, you know gothic figureheads people that you know really kind of sum up that, what i thought of as a goth growing up who really just cannot abide the label you think of andrew Eldridge and susie who much prefers to be called a punk you know these sort of people what is it about the gothic culture that you know some of the leading lights actually seem to want to stray away from it 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 seems an odd thing i think i think what it was the the scene was already
3: in place it was in place for about two years and then the words got dumped on it afterwards and it and initially it was a bit of a piss take term so obviously not going to embrace that and i think also the problem that a lot of bands have understandably is that once you put into a scene you can't get out of it so that you know if you were Andrew Eldridge, you'd always be expected to wear black clothes. you wouldn't be allowed to, and of course he reacts against us by wearing a white suit and then eventually start wearing his his baseball outfit and he's like <laughs> but still couldn't get out of it and and then musically you're not allowed to do certain things which is completely ridiculous yeah. so but I think in in a sense, I think you have to look at all the the scene is definitely there there are you know there's thousands and thousands of people embracing a scene. And there's certain things about a scene that they really like. Um, but you can't imprison the musicians into that scene. But at the same time, it does exist. It doesn't, it, it, just because you don't want to be in it, doesn't mean you're not in it. That's the problem. That's the uh, the problem all these people have. And it, I did interview Steve Sethering for the book. And he said he didn't really like the term goth because it made it, and he would spell it G-O-F-F, you know that. <laughs> but he liked the term gothic because there were a lot of gothic uh things that they really embraced like Edgar Allan Poe or or even a sense like the um soundtrack of Psycho which they used to play to guitarists when they joined the band say make your guitar sound like this you know <laughs> so so that kind of there was there was a darkness at play in all these groups also a humor I think people really object to the idea that they were just these really miserable
0: yeah. like
3: people sat in a garret, you know there's this is a they, they could be dark and funny at the same time, you know, and I think the trouble when you get something that's called goth, then it's just, oh, isn't that just black lipstick, black hair, and everyone's miserable? And people go, no, we're not miserable, we're having a great time,
0: yeah. but we're also
3: not, we're not um, backing off from the darkness, we're embracing the darkness.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think that goth is, is you know, totally humorous, go and see Alien Sex Fiend, because, they, you know, they're, they're, they're tremendous. you know. They're, they're absolutely hilarious. I'm doing time in a maximum security twilight home and all that. I mean, you couldn't make it up, really. And all that Batcave stuff, a lot of those bands were, you know, they were, I wouldn't say tongue-in-cheek or taking the mickey, but they were aware of of the kind of ludicrousness of what they were playing with, do you know?
3: Yeah, and I think that's been true of everything. I mean, glam rock was the same, wasn't it? You know, uh, uh, Bowie is incredibly serious, but also quite funny as well quite dry you know and it's it's in there, isn't it? it's much more nuanced really and what i tried to do in the book was was unpack it really that it's more than just black lipstick which is great on its own on it as part of a whole thing it's not the whole thing yeah. but i had to explain in each chapter that um you know this this band absolutely hates being called a goth band and this is why it's
0: <laughs> yeah. an interesting thing it really is well, i think um you touched a little bit on this uh, just as you were speaking there like i find it really interesting when i was growing up that there was um to me, there was like two epicenters of gothness. There was Leeds, and then there was Camden Market, you know. Uh, what was it particularly about... Because I felt like the the London scene was... It felt... I don't know if it was later, but it felt later. Um, what was it about the North, do you think, that embraced this? Is it just all to do with, you know, Dracula being written for Whitby? <laughs>
3: well, even that Whitby thing came later, didn't it? I think... I think it's just that curious thing that I mean. I think the first thing is that Leeds did have the first club, didn't it? Which uh, doesn't get the credit for. I mean, the phono was before the back cave, but yeah. the phono wasn't wasn't in Soho um, and it wasn't next to all the TV people going around Soho, so it didn't get on the television, did it? So it was yeah, as as ever, you know. The narrative's always told for the big cities, isn't it? But I think what was one of the interesting things about goth and quite a lot of all the other kind of bits of post punk that came after the punk explosion it was it was basically that generation who got really into punk recreating it on their own terms so a lot of goth would be like a northern version of punk but but with northern theme northern fascinations in it so each city had its own kind of little vibe going on so like in liverpool they were like they're really into not everybody but you know, a lot of the people in the scene were into like you know west coast california and, and psychedelic music and that crisscrosses. it's done it's a big doors influence in liverpool same in Manchester, really. We look at Joy Division, you can see Bowie in the doors in there. But Manchester was very dour and dressed down. But um, Leeds had this thing where they, they got into rock and roll. So, when that, that thing where everybody, like punk was again, it's year zero, we all hate rock music. Leeds, in a very fantastic, perverse Yorkshire way, embraced rock music, yeah. but through a post punk lens. So, it's kind of very knowing and it's so a sister mercy. Are, initially almost like a parody of a rock band you know it's it's kind of laughing at the pomposity and the stupidity of rock while doing it but also in a very modern way it wasn't they they were not they, they always say like Eldridge likes to say they were just a 70s rock band but they weren't at all they didn't sound anything like a 70s rock band because for a start they had a drum machine which very rarely used in rock music before just bands like Suicide had used them, Sly Stone had used one years and years ago but and it's in in a kind of heavier kind of way. This this is groundbreaking. I mean, rock bands didn't have drum machines yeah. in 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 nineteen eighty whatever. You know. Uh, that became the, the the very the very staple of of, of the West Yorkshire scene. Didn't it? every band seemed to have a drum machine? But almost always the same drum machine going round the bands,
0: <laughs> yeah, <I was laughs> lending just, it out. Because it, it, it was Doctor Avalanche, wasn't it? It was always credited on the albums yeah. <laughs> by Doctor Avalanche. So maybe maybe Doctor Avalanche just got passed round a few a few different bands. But
3: I think Doctor Avalanche just well. I mean, obviously it's a different drum machine. But Doctor yeah. yeah.
0: Avalanche is still in the Sisters scene. It? <laughs> one of the one of the alive, Yeah. Culture really has endured, doesn't it? You know, it's one of those ones that uh, it just never goes away. You know, I mean that every generation has their own take on it. Um, How has it changed? Especially, I think, because I think we can see the um, the look is kind of constant. You know, the, the the darkness and the black makeup and all this sort of stuff and the spiky hair. Those sort of things kind of endure. But the definition of a goth and the music which is classified as goth, or uh, you know, said to have a gothy feel, that's changed quite a lot. How do how do you think the the culture's changed musically?
3: I think um, I mean it's all different scenes concurrent at the same time, and what the bands we talk about, you know, the initial sort of goth bands are now called trad goth, which is such a great term. Isn't it? <laughs> a <bad> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're still very important. And they're still very uh, central to the scene, you know. Like So there's lots of big goth festivals across Europe and they're always headlining them, you know. I mean, there's that one announced in LA, that Cruel World Festival. It's like, you know, Sisters of Mercy are playing and Susie's playing and they're top of the bill bands, you know, and the, the newer bands like Soft Moon or whatever, they're lower down on the bill and they haven't quite broke through to that level of the classics. But in the clubs, the music's quite different now, so you won't hear the bands as much. So if you go to like a European... Sort of whatever you would call a goth club now, or you know, cold wave, dark wave, all the other terms, it's much more electronic music, you know. So it's and it, in a sense, that thing the sisters using the drum machine sort of played out in the end. That it's almost become like like goth techno in a sense, and the EBM is really key. And it's not about the band. So the dance floor is completely about the dance floor now, but people still like the old trad trad goth groups as well, who are now enormous. You know, you think. Bands like The Cure, you got you used to go to see and play to three hundred people. Now they're stadium bands, so so in a sense, it's concurrent, isn't it? Those old bands are still very much the pillars of the scene, but there is also other different soundtracks kind of swirling around in the darkness as well.
0: Mm. And it, it is still, you know, it is still happening. I've got a friend who uh, uh, promotes around Doncaster, and he does this Black Midwinter Festival where he gets all like uh, new goth bands, basically, and it, like you say, a lot of them do seem to veer towards. You know a more synthesized sound, but they you know there are a lot of them, and they are all kind of connected in this funny sort of way with with this tradition of gothic music but even though they're 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 still at it so sort of doing it, it they're they're changing and they're, they're they're writing their own history really and that that's great to see really,
3: yeah, you know, I think it's important isn't it I think um you know' it's, Again, it's like every generation dealing with its blues in different ways. I mean, a lot of like I said before, a lot of people aren't even in bands. You know, they just have, they're just on Instagram posting pictures of standing in uh, misty forests. You know, with no music at all. You know, and that's that's totally valid as well because it it doesn't have to be a repeat of what was there thirty forty years ago, does it? It's it, it can keep changing and keep morphing. You know, so there's there's goth games now in gaming. You know, and. Yeah there's little bits of music in there but they're actually just capturing the atmosphere and the atmosphere is actually the key thing to this so the art the art of darkness actually when you boil it all the way down is the atmosphere whether you can apply that to a book a film a piece of music a computer game or an instagram picture it's actually the art of darkness is the key in the core of it
0: yeah and so it makes a fantastic title for a brilliant book i'm sure
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll just just write that down yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) i mean you're, you're a busy man you run a great website louder than war uh you're, you're steeped in music uh, where can we get copies of this book where's where's the best place to get it i should ask
3: well best for me is if you get it at my band camp so um what i've got them on the membranes band camp that's my band so if you google membranes band camp it's on the merch page and they're signed as well so but it'll be obviously when it comes out it'll be, it's going to be in amazon and all the shops but um you don't want to give Amazon all your money because exactly. they don't exactly. pay tax. Really,
0: really good to talk to you.
3: All right, Edmund, thanks a lot. Thanks for your time.
0: What we're gonna, what we're gonna, what we're gonna do right here is
4: go back, way back, back into time. <laughs> do it too much. That's right. Name that tune. Get up, everybody. Name that tune.
0: Every now and then, normally when the world needs it most, a band manages to catch the cultural zeitgeist and create a new sound that resonates far beyond all expectations. So when Jason Williamson and Andrew Fern came together as the Sleaford Mods, they managed not only to tap into the grim reality of austerity, but also into the long-since dormant spirit of punk. Their hyper-real blend of social commentary and ultra-raw rhythms saw them become the marmite sensation of the noughties, and now, unbelievably more than a decade later, they continue to evolve their sound without losing any of their intensity. They're back with a new album called UK Grim, complete with a Cold War Steve directed video. And the Sleaford mods are back to inspire a little rebellion in us. And I'm very, very glad indeed to welcome Jason Williamson to the podcast. Hello, Jason. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited to Good. speak to you. You've been a, a long time target for the pod, I have to say. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, been stalking you from, from well, afar. You... You finally snag me, haven't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Patience wins out in the end. <laughs> what a funny old road it's been. It's like, like I say, you've been a long-time um, target of the, of the podcast. We really wanted to speak to you for ages. Um, and I think when you sort of first popped up, you came at such an unusual angle to all the things that were going on at the time. And I know you yourself were, um, you know, involved in music or trying to do stuff in music beforehand. Yeah. It must have been... I don't know. It must have been a strange sensation to finally find that thing that that dug in and hooked and actually started to work for you, really pull pull you where you wanted to go.
5: Yeah, um, it gave me um, it restored my faith back into life, and uh, uh, it made me realise that um, good things can happen sometimes. Mm. Uh, it, it's it, I, I was I was trying beyond beyond all reason, uh, in the sense of trying, I'd gone, I'd, I'd become obsessed with it. And, mm. um, uh, but to the point where, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out if I was still obsessed with it or if I just completely crashed and burned, <laughs> uh, or I, I I was in such a mess by the time I'd come up with a formula for it that, um, uh, yes, you know the Eureka moment was a very nice feeling, and it lasted for a good week but <laughs> um, but uh, after that, it was business as usual and uh, trying trying then to uh, try then to uh, work on it to improve it to establish it a bit better uh, and you know having my um, expectations smashed to smithereens again, you know uh and just and just becoming used to the process of failing again with it. So yeah. Uh see so yes, um it was a a, a mixture of elation and uh, again cold hard realism, you know, mm-hmm. after after the uh, honeymoon period wore off, you
0: know what I mean? Coming a, a little bit later than perhaps was planned. I'm sure you planned yes. to be uh, burned out by the time you were 25, but uh... well this this is another <laughs> thing. This is what
5: kind of worried not worried me, but I was I never took success seriously. Uh, because of my age around that- around that period so i would I would set out to live this rather bizarre life of um you know exercising along with copious drug intake and alcohol and cigarettes. But as long as I still looked physically like I was twenty six I figured I could probably get away with it. that was my thinking but um yeah, obviously that's uh, you know not a very good idea in
0: hindsight. But you know what I mean? Well, I don't know. It's kind of kind of the dream for many of us. I'm still waiting to be discovered by some mobile. <laughs> <somewhere. laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the some of the music that ins- has inspired you along the way. Yeah. You picked yeah. out three tracks for us today to share your phonographic mm-hmm. memories, and yeah. um, I've been listening to them this morning over breakfast. It's some great stuff. Yeah. The first one, Alex Cameron, "End Is Nigh." Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's such a lovely song, and it's yes. it, it's funny because it, it's it's quite tender and it's quite downbeat. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, it, 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 it's it's not screaming job seeker at me or anything like that. You know, it's no. it's, it's no. also, awesome. but I tell you what, it does have something that you guys have too, which is this way of speaking. That the, 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 lyrically, there's a uh, an ordinariness about some of the things yeah. they say. I, yeah. I find that really interesting. Tell us a bit about. Alex Cameron and why you like this particular track?
5: Um, I discovered Alex Cameron on the European tour in 2019 just floating through Spotify trying to find something to listen to and um, well actually I discovered him via The Quietus they'd they mm. run an article on his new album uh, Miami Memory uh, which is what this track is from so mm. um, I just started listening to it initially I wasn't sure and um, and then I just started getting hooked to it it's really kind of it's 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 it's, it's, it's got that uh, you know real realness about it mm-hmm. you know, that real creativeness about it that you know he, he he's completely into it he's 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 very passionate about it he loves it he wants to try and push his influences forward uh under the guise of his own abilities mm-hmm. um uh you know which is which is how I got into it. I wanted to do something with my influences. I was so absorbed by what I was listening to that um I had to recreate that in my own style, you know what I mean? Mm. So um it, it, it reminded me of that, but also I I connected to the fact that he he has lots of or did, you know, have lots of issues with uh, substance abuse and and lots of other hang-ups, you know. That yeah. um I connected with as well. Uh, and uh, you know, the, if you listen to the lyrics, they are very—they're quite dark. They're very dark actually, and they're very sad. Uh, but they're also very romantic and um, full of melody, full of life.
4: coming through I get the cabin ready for you and your girl, yeah, the wife and kids will be here too There's a guy who thinks I'm fucking his girlfriend He says he's gonna make me cry But I couldn't get it up if I wanted to, man Yeah, and I already wanna die if the end is a night, baby, I don't think I want to survive. If the end is a night, baby, make it swift and let me die. I know him
5: a little bit and he is, um, he, he doesn't lay shit on you. He just, he's polite, he's hes funny, he's, he's uh, inclusive. Um, you know, so it's it's, it's it's a real special talent. I think Do you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: To... I, mean, I I was really impressed. It's <laughs> not someone I've heard a, yeah. lot, a lot of. Are you still finding yourself? I mean, perhaps even more so now because uh, with the success, I guess you, you've you've garnered a you know a few people around you now mm-hmm. who are making great music too. And although none of them, you know, it's not like you have the same sound, but you, maybe there's the same ethos running through. With people like yourselves and dry cleaning and Billy No Mates and all these others, you know, sure. you, you find yourself picking up a lot more of, of the, the sort of music that you're after now. Is it, is it easier to find, or you know, is it finding you? Um, It's kind of a bit of both, really. It's not easy to find
5: because you you know there's so much shit out there. It's just hard to. Sometimes I just can't be asked picking the spade up and clearing it away. You know, you just (laughs) you just have to just live with it. And then, but all of a sudden, you'll come across something. A little nugget will peer out of this uh, pool of you know just monotony, and um, you it will initially be a little bit puzzling or not very good, and then it just clings to you. You know, so. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes you find it, yeah, sometimes... But generally, a lot of the time, you have
0: to go looking for it. Mm. You seem to be good at bringing people into your fold, though, as well. You know, like, you... It, I think there's... Um, again, maybe this is something of being a bit bit older when, when it all takes off, is that I think when you're yeah. young, quite often, it can be a bit of an arms race, a bit of a, a giant competition that you're kind of... You're looking over your shoulder, who else is good, damn it, you know? I don't want anyone... Opening up for me, he's going to blow me off the stage or whatever. And perhaps as yeah, you get a bit yeah. older, you're a bit more like just like now. I like them. I'll I'll have a bit of that. You know. Oh he's... god, yeah, there is there is that definitely. I mean, you've you've, you've assembled quite a few like really good talented people that uh, tour with you and stuff. That must be satisfying as well, just to be able to help those people along.
5: Well, so I mean, you
0: know, you don't want to come across like Mr. Fucking.
5: You know, oh, hey, hey, look, at, hey, look, come yeah. here, I can help you. Yeah, hey, I'm not insinuating hey, um, you've got
0: a fat cigar no, a No,
5: but, <laughs> no, completely no, but it's like, but I'm, I'm not not you, but I'm constantly aware that I don't want to, you know, that means you, you, I think it's hard sometimes to, to reach out to other people because mm. cause musicians are, they're quite singular in their, in their thinking and, you know, it, the ones that are worth their weight in gold are very are very choosy, so you kind of <laughs> you're always a bit tentative, but I think you know collaborating with people has, has transformed our fortunes for us, so i 'm mm-hmm. all for it and i'm all i'm all for for reaching out and getting trying to get to know people as much as you can mm-hmm. uh in amongst uh, people 's busy lives but yeah i don't want to you know i don't want to be mr game show host or no, uh, no. and Andrew doesn't either you know you don't want to hey come on you know blah 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 <laughs> and you don't
0: want to assume that people. Would want to work with you or want to support you either, you know. You have yourselves had some amazing invites, you know. I mean, I I can remember like waking up one day opening the paper and seeing, oh, Sleep Mods Mods recorded with the Prodigy. Wow. Oh, (laughs) yes. I mean, that that must be, you know, because you're roughly the same age as me, I think. And I think Uh that must be one of those things where, because they're like a pillar, aren't they, in in UK dance? They're like one of the things that holds the roof up. So, I mean, what happened? Did they just. Phoning up out of the blue, or was it... Yeah, yeah, it
5: was actually just
0: myself that collaborated
5: with him. Andrew didn't um, come in on it, but it was... um, Yeah, I got an email off Liam, Howlett's manager, and um, he was like, oh, do you want to... Would you be interested in, um, you know, Hmm. sort of
0: um, guesting with him? And uh, I said, yeah, so I started talking to Liam, and that was that, you know what I mean? Yeah, great, it was too. And I do... My favourite one, I think, of the, the ones that I've heard you play... Um, with someone else, the, the, the stuff he did with the bug, I thought was amazing. Uh, oh, thank you! Thank just you. like brilliant, brilliant lyrical, and, and always, you know, Kevin Martin's production is just so powerful. Yes, yes, incredible. Yes. Were you familiar with them beforehand, or was that just a like little him? bit, a
5: little bit? Yeah, he's, he's obviously, um, you know, he's, he's a cult. You know, probably yeah. kill me for saying that. Um, you know, but it, it, it's, it's a real. He's got a real cult following. Uh, and, you know, he languishes in his own world and refuses to <laughs> play some crap commercial game, you know. So, yeah. Um, he's a, yeah, he's a lovely bloke as well. But, yeah, those um, those tunes are very um,
0: powerful. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're huge. And the, the bigger the system, the more powerful they get. Oh. So, yeah, it's great, great stuff to hear. Let's move on to your second choice, which is uh, completely at the opposite end of that. There's no massive sub-bass running through this. Uh, You chose a track by Aldous Harding called Treasure, Uh, which uh, I thought was really beautiful, actually. I listened to it three times this morning. It's a really nice nice track. How did this one come into your life?
5: Um, She... um, We played a festival in Tasmania in 2020, and she played just before us, or sort of earlier in the day. And... um, I I, I was quite captivated by it. Like... uh, I don't know. I just... I'm not one of those... I'm quite cynical when it comes to watching mm. bands live, you know. I'm not into this, I saw someone and it was brilliant bullshit. Because a lot of the time you kind of... You haven't really got an opinion, you walk away and then for some reason you start listening to them. And um, So when I watched her, I was quite captivated. Mm. It was like, oh dear, you know. And then I met her after. Uh, and I started listening to her album designer after that. And it was... This tune reminds me of Lockdown being being um, strung out because I had a uh, sciatic problem, I had a back problem. Mm. So I was strung out on all these painkillers in my daughter's bed right at the <laughs> top of the house. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was... Um, it reminds me of that, really. I used to listen to the album to send me to sleep. Um, and uh, we kept in touch. And um, I did a little bit of backing vocals on uh, one of the songs from her last album. Um yeah it again, you know, a very similar uh connection mm. to that of Alex in the sense of she is completely dedicated to creating music that she loves but mm. under her own uh her, her own guise, you know. Mm. So um yeah again another
4: brilliant musician and um you know a little bit of a friend you know what I mean? oh, that's that's lovely i made it again to the amazon i've got a race the same as the others and i see it far cleaner than that Four, three I just stood up and I mean it I have better than that
0: One of the things that really struck me about The Sleeper Mods from the first time I ever saw you on, on some yeah. YouTube clip or whatever was just the fact that um, you just you just threw it all away. Do you know what I mean? There's that brilliant quote from Noel Gallagher, I think you put on the back of your book, that you say, you know, pop stars can't drive around in a gold Rolls Royce anymore because some come from The Sleeper Mods and it's shit. What does I mean, he
5: think? I mean, what's he on? <laughs>
0: I mean, so, it's so brilliant because... It perfectly illustrates him and you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh it's god, yeah. When someone yeah. someone throws an insult, out, and then you actually think, I don't know who came the worst out of that. You know, <laughs> maybe you just blew your foot off. But I think, um,
5: yeah, I just think it was a bit. I don't know. You know. I mean, that's his game, that's isn't it? it. It's a tough one with that geezer, really. You
0: know what mm. I mean? Uh, yeah, but he is kind, of, kind of out of time, really, in a lot of respects. Mm. But what was, I guess, my point was that, that you know, you, you deliberately have decided just not to fucking deal with any of that. You know, you're not about to show up in in glitter pants and uh, have a an major <laughs> light show, and uh, well, we're not going to have we're not going to have Andrew knocking out a five minute drum solo in the middle of your concert. You know, like no, it, no. I, I love the way you just stripped all that away. And you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people, the overriding feeling was was that of punk. You know, it felt like you were just tearing down all the trappings of success and all the the expectations that come with the music business and actually getting it back to really what what kind of folk music is about, if you like, which is like, you know, telling the news and, you know, expressing what's going on in your life today. Was that a really conscious decision to try and throw that away? Or was it just something that you were just sick of seeing this banal parade of riches?
5: Yeah, it it, it got too much. It was... was, uh you know, we were inundated with these bands that were doing the same rustic fucking Neil Young mm. kind of, you know, like, sort of small faces, kind of early 70s rock type stuff, you know, small faces r mod type stuff. All of that was just so, it was rinsed out, you know. Yeah. Some of the people that ushered that kind of sound in, early Oasis, Paul Weller, You know, were did it very well. I think. Uh, Well, not so much Oasis. They were a little bit more kind of contemporary. But you know, Paul Weller really did try and dive in and try and recreate these old sounds and um, kind of brought that to the forefront a little bit, Mm. Um, which I thought was interesting. You know, and good. And I still listen to that. But then it got saturated with with acts in a similar vein, and um, I just got sick of it. Trying to do it myself, and then ended up really resenting it and hating at the same time the idea of X Factor, which had just come in and was starting <laughs> to take take over. So the initial idea was to do it live, but like do it like X Factor, as almost a two fingers up to X Factor. Mm. But at, but at the same time, um, you know, recognizing that. Um, I just didn't like this full
0: band, this uh, you know, this kind of like traditional band setup anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can remember watching you appear on uh, Jules Holland and uh, reading the Twitter feed at the time, and it was it was just hilarious because obviously <laughs> yeah. you, you know you, you, had, you had loads of people who were, who were banging to what you do. You couldn't believe you there you were on national TV, you know, on a Friday night or whatever. And then you had all this sort of comfy slippers brigade across the country who just. <laughs> Did not know what to do with Andrew <laughs> yeah, stood by yeah. a
5: computer. Yeah, it was um, we still get it. You know what I mean? It's still a bit. You know, people just won't have it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which is which is nice. It's uh, it's 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 nice to it's nice to see that. You know, you're doing something right. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, and the other thing is, you know, the the way your music especially comes out, and I think um, perhaps not enough focus sometimes is on Andrew's work because you know. No. From the very beginning, obviously, the lyrics are are fantastic, the delivery is brilliant, uh, but you need something to sit that on. And I think um, some of the very earliest things I heard were kind of perhaps more like hip-hop loops, what you might expect. And then suddenly this style develops, which, you know, the only thing, I I mean, I think it's much more punk than hip-hop because there's just something... Kind of, but then again, you know. I guess actually, thinking about it, you know, the the, the real most sincere hip hop is totally punk because it is totally DIY. It was literally let's grab two copies of the same record and make some noise over the top of it. But what Andrew has managed to do is create these ultra minimal like blasts of of sound, basically, which so mm. complement what you're doing. But the interesting thing is, it's not it's not like any other. Thing that was around at the time, it really wasn't a, an aping of another style. I mean, uh, it's kind of a stupid question, but where do you think that came from?
5: Um, well, Andrews is uh, just is the absolute. It's the jacket that goes around it, and the mm. trousers as well. Do you know what I mean? And the shoes, actually, you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> you know, my content is in the centre. Uh, you know, it beats away the heart of it, I guess. But he just without. You know for I did four albums on my own before I met him just mm. using as you say loops from hip hop records and punk records uh and I was aware that this was an approach that was do has been done time and time again, and I knew it would't have you know it didn't have a it didn't have a future and I wanted something more high grown so when I met Andrew and immediately clicked onto his style of music um you know we grew it from there but um, you know his influences aren't necessarily music it's sounds from a TV programme or hmm. something that he hears outside and he and he, he likes to duplicate that sure he listens to music of course there is an influence from various whatever genres he, he, he listens to but it, he, you know he doesn't want to recreate a sound he's heard so much yeah. more his,
0: his interpretation of it and that can be anything you know yeah totally i think um one of them i've touched on that a little bit in the intro which is you know i was just looking over the, doing, doing what everyone does in a podcast i was read, yeah. read your wikipedia page i did a bit more than that but i did read your wikipedia page but you know what what kind of really set me thinking was uh you know 10 years plus have gone by now you know what i mean and yeah if, yeah it's, it's just grown and grown and grown and grown in a way that i I'm sure even you have to pinch yourself occasionally and just go, wow, how did I get here? Completely, yeah. Given the restraints of what you had in the first place, which was these, you know, when you listen back to Divide and Exit, a lot of those, it's literally like 16 bars. uh, I just doubled up. You know, it's so raw. There's no fills. There's, you know, it it was really like thrash it out and and stick it on the laptop and away you go. And I think what's really interesting as well now is that, all this time has gone by, and the sound has evolved and become a, a, perhaps a bigger, bigger thing altogether. But you, you haven't ever been tempted down the route of overcomplicating it. Is that something you're really aware of? Because it seems to be at the essence of what what made you good in the first place.
5: Yeah, I mean, Andrew, Andrew, like I say, you know, he steers he steers the future of it. it it's destiny. I'm not his destiny, but um, you know, he. he he maps it out by simply doing music and sending it over. Yeah. That music will be manipulated a little bit in the studio, maybe uh, there might be a few other bits added to it. But what he sends over initially is what you've got, and um, it's all down to his psychology with it. You know, mm. uh, he, he's, a, he's a minimalist. We both are. We don't we don't want too much force... On the record, audio-wise, we don't want to be listening to too much, plus, too much clutter, and mm. it doesn't also need to take too long to do. I mean, if both of those things are evident, then
0: we tend to lose interest. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is, is that how it works? Then like he'll just send you a loop out of out of the blue, and you'll pick it up and see what what you can do with it. Um, yeah, basically, uh, it will send me four, five,
5: six loops at a time. Um, uh and you know most of them all of them I'll use, and will the the idea is to is to not leave any whole uh i forgot what the saying is there, but like you know what i mean you just don't don't leave anything to chance and just do everything yeah uh and some of them work, some of them don't you, know, I think we did about probably about thirty five songs for this new album, and mm. obviously. i say that about 25 26 actually sorry and then you know obviously 14 of them made him made made it onto the album you know
0: yeah i I, have just thought to myself what a lovely a lovely idea this is that uh, you know him sending you those those beats and stuff you two are kind of like the the reverse image of elton john and bernie Taupin. (laughs) because <laughs> Bernie would just send a little poem or something and out, would bash it out like you guys are like the devil's version i love it <laughs> I, I think one thing that um that probably hasn't been talked about enough as far as i'm yeah. concerned is that, you know you come inspired from hip-hop and you're Last Choice, Raekwon, Inspector Deck, Ghostface Killer, The Guillotine from Only Built for Cuban Links. I mean, uh, absolutely tremendous, tremendous music. And, you know, when I talked earlier about the the, sort of the early Sleaford Mod stuff that I heard that did have that kind of recognisable hip-hop sound in it as well, you know, that obviously had a a big impact on you because... Hip hop was that always something you're into, or is that something that kind of came through later in the 90s and stuff?
5: I was always into it from
0: sort of the Def Jam era, sort of
5: late 80s. Um, I think it was sort of 87 88 when Public Enemy 87, I think, when it, Public Enemy released Yegor know, Mush's show, and that was that's when it started. LL Cool J with Bigger and Deffer, um, uh that came out roughly around the same time, so I was I was into that kind of explosion, that kind of second. It was was it a second wave? I don't know. It was kind of the first <laughs> wave. You had you had your like your disco hip hop from sort of yeah the yeah. Uh, the earlier way back early eighties or whatever late seventies. But this is when it really started to take take um you know take uh, shape sort of thing yeah. for me anyway. So um, yeah, and then I lost interest. And then around 2000, about 2005, 2004, I started to listen to the Wu-Tang Clan, And then um, that's when it really opened up. Uh, You know, the mafioso gangster rap uh, of the East Coast, um, a cool G rap as well. Mm. You know, all that old kind of stuff. 91 thing called G Rap was more so, but then the Wu Tang Clan with Enter mm. the 36 Wu Chang Chambers, and that changed everything for me uh, in the sense of how to approach vocals. Uh, and also, uh, I, I would imagine, was responsible for the minimalist um, uh, uh, approach as well, because obviously there was a uh, as much as
0: Wu Tang's quite busy when you listen to it, it's it's kind of not at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's delivered in chunks, isn't it? They, they, they yeah, yeah, example out. Yeah, and yes, yes, especially on the early albums where you know there's a lot of, you know, they're, 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 it's like they they take a loop and fly with it. You know what I mean? They don't basically they don't spend yeah. a lot of time. Maybe in the later no. later albums, you hear a little bit more of this kind yeah, of good, true, but, yeah, um, yeah, 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 it Definitely had that vibe for it. Um, uh, would you... <laughs> I, was, I was trying whether to ask this or not, but, you know, I, I remember reading about um, Beck many years ago after he did oh, yeah. uh, um, Loser and all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, him just saying... Someone someone in an interview said, uh, so... Uh, Blah blah blah. You you think you're part of the hip hop scene? He's going, oh God, don't call it hip hop. (laughs) They they kill me. You know, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) he just got so much shit about it. He actually just refused to talk about it. Oh, did he? Did he get all shit about it? Yeah, because you know, you know, he was a you know skinny white kid with uh, sitars and a breakbeat. uh, You know, and he was sort of rapping, I guess. But, you know, to me, they're always songs, really. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think there was yeah. this kind of thing. Oh, he, he's this sort of new angle on hip-hop. And uh, the hip-hop heads in America certainly did not like that at all. And they... Oh, OK. <laughs> Fuck, I didn't know that. Yeah, Shit. They, got, they got quite shitty about it. Do you, would you describe yourself as as a hip-hop act? Or is that, no, that pushing no, things too far? Absolutely not. I yeah. think, you know, we're, we're
5: punk rock, basically. Yeah, that's
0: um, where I'd, I'd
5: put you there. Uh, yeah. Uh, but obviously there is a bit of... Um, an influence from rap but I was always very careful to to, to not do that because I, it was so off putting watching people around here try to be rappers like that because most of them were doing it in an American voice Yes, yes. and the ones that weren't uh, were doing it in this terrible kind of, there was no flow no soul to it and as I mm. kind of like studied all of the rappers from Wu-Tang, you know, a lot of them were shouting really, it was mm. like yeah there was rhyme in there but the be, but words would only rhyme every five or six sentences. Yeah. For, for some reason, you know, they just walked along the beat, you know. So it was like, I, th- I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and do that. And, and and because of that, and because I was so cautious of not being hip hop uh, it came out the way it did. But at the same time, I was listening to a lot of punk stuff. So mm. the two things combined, you know.
1: Allow me to
4: demonstrate the skill of Shaolin. The special technique of shadow boxing. <laughs> a Poisonous! Poisonous! <laughs> I should slap
5: all y'all niggas for coming in my fucking face with that I shit. Sh- you that. You that cool
4: Poisonous! In this paragraph, smash a on the graph in half. It'd be the inspector Jack on the wall path. First class, leaving mites with a cast. Causing ruckus like the aftermath on guns blast. thing One- here comes the verbal assaulter, rhymes running wild like a child in a walker. I scored from the inner slums abroad, and my thoughts are ready to start. I slice the mic from the court. First criticized, but now they have become mentally paralyzed with hits that I devise. Now I testify. The best is our rebel your highness. blessed to electrify. Revoltage of a ill truth that I reveal across the amateurs who scream. They keep it real. Teaser a black down, hooded up in fatigue, part-time minor leagues, received third degrees. Attack like a wolf pack. Once I pull back.
0: Well, and yeah, um, When you think about it, you know hip hop and punk are are very similar in, in many ways, and in, in fact, yeah. of course, Malcolm McLaren had a hand in bringing both of them to to England. You know what I mean? Yes, so he, he, sure. He brought all that sound over first, and the the first time I ever saw anyone scratch a record was I think it was on like Nationwide or some some Southeastern oh, okay. Six type show. But, uh, you know, he, you know, it has the same aesthetic, but they've morphed in such different worlds. And I can remember I did a review for Divide and Exit. And uh, I think uh, the week before he had been in some interview and he would mentioned thanks to the fans for buying the records because it's paid for the new patio doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought that is real hip hop. Do you know what I mean, we're not, we're not talking about some diamond encrusted tracksuit here, we're talking about the man needs new patio doors, that's as real as it is. Oh God
5: yeah, I can remember it as well, okay. they were a godsend. You
0: know? Are they still standing?
5: Uh, well we've actually moved from that house, uh, it it, to the mansion moved on, moved on the hill. Yes, yes, so, compared to the last one, yeah it definitely is, you know
0: what mm. Excellent. Well, it's been a long road for you now. And like I say, you, you, how many years is it? 2007 you started, wasn't it? So Yeah, yeah. And Andrew didn't come on board for, for a couple of years, did he? No, he, was...
5: he didn't, no. I started in 2000... I released the 1st CDR in 2006, I believe.
4: Right.
5: And he didn't come on board until 2011.
0: Right, so it's quite a long time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Can you... Can you sum up how that's how it been to come from, essentially, I imagine, sat in your bedroom with a with a, a loop of some kind, writing down words in a pad, all the yeah. way to where you are now, having published books, funny books as well, amazing yeah, books, you. I have to say, thank really, you. really good.
1: Thank
0: um, you. But it's, all, um, yeah, it's all come absolutely. together. What's it been like? <laughs> it's been very
5: feels like years and years ago those old early yeah. gigs yeah and I've got so many memories of them um, but at the same time lots of hard work and you know periods of where's it going what we're we going to do with it and yeah, I you know, mean, have I, you have I, you felt
0: on top of it all the time or do you, you there must have been a point uh, after the initial flood where you thought oh God now I've got to do another one you
5: know? <laughs> no, no. no, no, there was never that. I relished really? the idea of that. It's oh, just um, we, you know, towards it we we had uh, an initial manager who who was with us from the start, but by 2018 it was clear that it wasn't working, and mm. and, and that because we'd entrusted so much into his position. Uh, he was effectively steering the ship uh, uh, but it was clear that he couldn't do that anymore so it was making the transition from parting ways with him trying to mend all of the, because I think there was a lot of damage, there was a lot of unsurety, you know a bit of uncertainty mm. in the sense of our, mine and Andrew's relationship we we, we never talked it. it just wasn't like that so um mm. You know, we had to then start a new relationship with and Andrew, so to speak. And um, we were fortunate enough to to have, um, you know, my my wife was helping out our old manager a lot, and um, she took over as temporary manager right. when, when we parted company with him. And um, that that has remained. You know, yeah. she's completely transformed it. Really, you need you need that because yeah. if you haven't got if you haven't got a decent manager you've fucked i think you can't you can't do those things on your own you know what i mean
0: yeah and there's something about um separating you know i've been in bands and 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 all that sort of stuff and by far my most dreaded thing to do is to write that email to some venue i haven't talked to before and try and get that gig you know i mean that can be soul destroying, I think. So you, you ain't got
5: the time So I don't want to do that. Yeah, and so, also
0: it's a it's a drag from your art. You know, what I mean, it takes away oh, from God, it, yeah. what, what you what you yeah. love it for. So sure, sure. Having yeah. someone able to to bring that out, and I, I think as well, you know, it's certainly nice. Although you did the, the albums with Rough Trade and stuff, you also, yeah, you know, a lot of it's been you and your mates pulling together and actually getting stuff out. You know, that's that's impressive. Yeah, well, it
5: was all the way up until Key Markets, so and yeah. then. Well, we signed with, which was the third album, me and Andrew have done, fourth album. Uh, and then we uh, signed with Rough Trade, did English Tapas. Then we left Rough Trade um, uh, under the advice of our old manager. Uh, it turned out to be an absolute disaster. <laughs> uh, and that's when Claire came in and oversaw the release of Eaton Alive. Uh, but you know she she did she did wonders with it. It went it went to number nine. Our first top ten album. Amazing. Uh, and um, you know and after that we re-signed back to Rough Trade. Um, it was it it was clear that it was a label we should we, you know we should stay with. And, yeah. You know, thankfully they accepted us back because it was a bit it was a fuck around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, you know so yeah, and the rest is you know the rest has been you know so far so good. We've released. Uh, uh, what critically our strongest albums to date, you know, mm. um, I think Spear Ribs and, and the, the new one UK Grimm are, are, um, are clear signs of, 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 of it, you know,
0: changing and moving in other yes, directions. Definitely, you know what definitely. I mean? I think um, for, just before we wrap up one thing that I, I think, yeah. uh, we well, talked a little bit about Noel Gallagher and his, uh, and yeah. his penchant for a good quote. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're a man who's good for a quote, let's be honest. <laughs> but what I was thinking is, I'm, I'm also a, what what my mother would call someone with a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tend to, um, you know, shoot from the hip. Now, yeah, you yeah. strike me as the type of guy who talks from the hip all the time. Um, but there must have been a time when no one fucking listened to that. <laughs> and then no, suddenly people yeah. start writing it down. And you know, uh, t- t- quoting you on Twitter <laughs> messages and all that. What was yeah. what was that like? And how have you <laughs> how have you managed to to um, deal with the fact that if you say something now, you can't just throw it away you, like you used to be able no. to do? Do you know? What I mean, that must be quite tricky sometimes.
5: I mean, I don't know. It was just really weird. Getting the attention was just really weird. Yeah. Uh, people were just like, "This is getting really weird, Jason." And I'm like, yeah. Because people just didn't expect me to get anywhere. I didn't expect to get anywhere. It was a, you know, I um, I think most people had given up on me. I'd given up on me. I bet the only person that tried to resuscitate me was my wife, right, yeah. who I'd met around 2010. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't It's just fucking weird. You can't can't put uh Things happen, don't they? Yes. And... Life, ha- you know, life is like that. Things happen. Um, sometimes they're not very nice, and uh, you know, a lot of the time they're good if, if if you're attentive to it, to the rhythms of your life, you know. So um, I don't know, I don't know. You know, did you really find yourself
0: weird. like you know self censoring now and thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't? Of course, you've got to self
5: censor a little bit because you just get cancelled, wouldn't you? So
0: <laughs> <laughs> fuck I think if they were going to gonna cancel you, you'd have been cancelled long ago.
5: Well, guys, like I mean, it? you know, it's it's what. It, well, you know, it's it's that thing where I said on Twitter ages ago, you know, in the future, everyone will be cancelled for 15 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> See,
0: it's, I told you yeah, you good for a quote, didn't I? <laughs> no, but, but,
5: also, but also, Twitter's so good like that. If you've got that kind of, you know, if you've got that, pro, if you like doing shit like that, then Twitter's perfect. Absolutely, it still is, yeah. I think. It yeah. still is, even though it's a,
0: a bit of a mess now. Um,
5: yeah, yeah.
0: Old, um, old Space Karen's kind of... Uh,
5: he yes. spent all
0: his money on something and then taken a big dump on top of it. I don't know why he's oh done that, gosh. but there you go. I don't, yeah, there you go. Yeah. it. Hey, listen, Jason, it's been so great to talk to you. I'm really pleased to finally got Thank you on you, the Amy. pod. And I wish you Thank all you. the success for UK Grimm. I've, I've, I've followed your rise, and it's been inspiring and a joy, very funny and, you know, really exciting as well. I think when I watched the, the movie that they made about you... Uh, oh right yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. it culminated in that uh scene where you're kind of backstage at uh rock city or wherever yeah you can just yeah. hear the crowd doing "oh" from you know,
5: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: that sure. you know that must be that's everything you you kind of want in the world really right there on a plate so i think fully deserved to the pair of you and thank you so much for your time and for the great music thank you've you. given us over the last 10 or so years Thank you very much. Thank okay, you. have a great nice day, Jason. Nice to, nice to meet you. Yeah. All right, you take care. Nice to meet. Cheers. Tada! Dear listeners. For God's sake, we've done 50 of these episodes now. Like us and subscribe us. I don't want to be pushy, but what are you here for?
1: <laughs> the big sigh was what really made that at the beginning, <laughs> Eamon. You're making Eamon sigh. Would you ever just like it, subscribe?
4: Help a brother out. There's a guy who thinks I'm fucking his girlfriend. He says he's gonna make me cry. But I couldn't get it up if I wanted to Man, yeah, and I already wanna die If the end is night nice. Baby, I don't think I wanna survive